Let's make it a good one, eh? I'm Don Hall, and this is the Peculiar Journeys Podcast. And we are back from our epic journey to London. Although I'm recording this before we leave for our epic journey to London. So we're in a time warp and you'll just have to wait until next episode to find out how things turned out in the UK. So that's kind of how it works. Quick business, www.patreon.com slash peculiar journeys. Toss me a few bones, get some patron only goodies. Also, www.literateape.com slash events for information on the September 21st performance of the sickest fucking stories I ever heard and the September 26th identity flip, both at G-Man Tavern, just next to Metro in Ricketsville. Also, now would be a good time to grab tickets to Bug House, which is our new dialectic show, which premieres in two weeks on October 2nd at Haymarket pub and brewery. If you've never been to Haymarket, then you're really missing something because they're a great, it's a great brewery, it's a great restaurant, amazing staff. Uh, I was the host of The Moth there for about five years, so uh, it's kind of like coming home. Love it. All right, the second season has been all about showcasing stories from people not on stages, and that's been its own weird journey for me to find people that would be interested Not interested in getting on a stage and sharing stories, but interested in being on a podcast. Not the easiest thing in the whole world, but we're making waves. We're doing what we got to do. So today we meet Jeff Tomlinson. Now, Jeff was and is a good friend of my wife, Dana's. Back when she lived in Washington, D.C., they struck up a friendship. And then a couple years later, uh, we ran into him in Chicago. Not so, it was a couple years ago uh, when we were attending Outspoken at Sidetrack. And I'll tell you more about those guys later. So when I started looking for people who don't tell stories on stage but might be very interesting, Dana suggested Jeff. She thinks he's very interesting and very funny, very open. And as usual, she was right. So Jeff came over to my apartment, uh, he and I sat down in the kitchen, and we sat and talked for a little while. Um, About halfway through our conversation, it occurred to me how similar our backgrounds were. Very different people, but I was a public school teacher, and I taught for nine years, and then left because the system was just too much. He was a teacher and administrator for 12 years, and did the same thing, left. I gigged around looking for a place to land, so did he. Now, Jeff's a bit younger than I am, so I had a few more turns. I, so far, have had a few more turns in my road than he does. But the philosophy and the desire to accomplish something with our lives and our livelihood without sacrificing our souls to the job, to the grind, is pretty much the same. But before we get into all of that, we sat and we started talking about parties and camping out and orgies and all kinds of stuff. And he suddenly revealed that he had just been to his first nudist party. That sounded pretty interesting to me. Uh, Primarily, I've been to one nude beach, which was very strange. It was in Arizona and I showed up and I didn't realize it was a nude beach. And I was told as I went in that suddenly there's fucking naked people everywhere. And so I kind of got the clue, like it's not, I'm not stupid, but I got the clue, oh, I'm at a nudie beach, 
Um, and then somebody came over to me and said, if you're going to stay, you have to take your clothes off. And so I did, um, except for my shoes, and kind of walked around naked for a while. It was not really my scene, but it was interesting, I guess. Um, but I've never been to a nude party in someone's house that didn't turn into sex. That doesn't make any sense to me, but this is what he was talking about. And so let's join Jeff Tomlinson as he tells us a little bit about being in a nudist party in his apartment. My roommate, um, he's been trying to, um, he's pretty vanilla, and he's been trying to, like, expand his mind a little bit. I feel like a lot of people discover that, at least my friends in the gay community here. Uh, Chicago is like a place that's pretty open to quite a bit. Um, and uh, he decided, a friend of his, a friend of ours, decided to kind of go on uh, meetup.com and a new friend who also moved here didn't know anybody and wanted to like meet people and he saw a nudist group on meetup.com like a non-sexual nudist group and of gay men so he went to that and then my roommate my best friend joined him for another one they kind of meet once a month and then it just keeps kept kind of kept going and um i was always like well i would like to come i'm interested in that i'm like i'm on the opposite end of vanilla so for me, it's almost like, oh, wow, to be naked with other gay men and not have sex? Like, what? Like, I'm looking at it from that end. Like, that's fucked up. That's crazy. Cool. I'll do it. But they're like, oh, being naked in front of, like, a bunch of other gay men. Like, oh. I, I was just, like, totally opposite ends. But they would never invite me. And so it eventually came around after a year or so to it was at our house. And my roommate's like, hey. So it's, like my month for the nudist party would you mind and i was like <laughs> of course i don't mind like that would be awesome i'm so excited and uh i but i didn't i didn't know it was just funny my the reaction because i had so many questions you know and they were like uh, well like, can i invite people you know can i bring my friends who aren't part of this group they're very protective of who can come they have their own like group text and I'm still not on it. I'm still not allowed to be in it. Um, they have, uh, they just have their own kind of culture. But so, you know, the day of got there and I was just like, my roommate couldn't get home until right when the party started. So I had to be there to kind of get ready. And I thought the whole day I was like, not, he kept thinking I was nervous. And I'm like, I am in no way nervous about being naked in front of other gay men. I'm nervous about like how to properly hold this party. Like, what do I serve? Like, you can't have food. Like, like I had these little like spanakopita things, but they're flaky. Like, body hair catches things. You know, I was like, I didn't know. Like, can I have those? What if it's in people's pubes and like nobody can stop staring at like the guy who's got like spanakopita flakes in his pubes and. What happens when people get here? Like, do, do, is it like, are they gonna be really serious? Like, 
you gotta go right to the room. Like, you cannot be in clothes at all. Like, do they need to put up, take their clothes off right at the door? This is my first nudist party. I don't know what to do. So, and they're just like, why are you so worried about it? I'm just, I don't know, because I've, I don't know, like, how this works. You know, you're so, you guys are always so serious and secretive about it. Uh, I, I was like, well, is there a, is there a point at which, like, it officially begins? Like, do you get around the table and say something? <laughs> you know, like, herein begins, like, naked night number seven. You know, and is there an oath or is there... I mean, they just thought it was, they were cracking up, but I was like, well, I don't know. I don't know anything about this. So, normal party. We just happened to be naked. There were like five minutes of like, some of the guys like, uh, there are a lot of things apparently you can do with the penis and balls that I did not know. <laughs> if you can like, uh, you know, if you've ever, I don't, I've never seen it, but it's called puppetry of the penis. Um, and somebody had been to it and they were like, oh yeah, you can make like a hamburger and I was like, well, you got to do it. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. So the guys are playing with their balls and, you know, making hamburgers and other faces. And I learned things that you can do with your body parts. I had no idea. I've never been like Jeff to the puppetry of the penis, um, but I have heard about it. Um, but Dana and I, and when we were in France a couple years ago for our first anniversary, uh, we went to one of the most amazing uh, museums of erotica in Paris I'd ever seen. I, I basically, we were in the red light district, and uh, we went over to the Moulin Rouge, and the Moulin Rouge was, I mean, it was just a shit show. It was just packed. And so we just kept walking a little bit north. I think it was north, but uh, ran into it, and it looked like from outside for, uh, you know, six euros, it looked like sort of this divey, crappy looking little uh, sex store. And it turned out to be seven floors of the most amazing museum of erotica I have ever seen. Um, however, I did not see any penis hamburgers. So, Puppetry Penis has got something on the Musée d'Erotica in uh, Paris. <laughs> okay, so while Jeff and I were talking about it, I then at some point asked Jeff about his most recent life transition, the, the leaving of the teaching profession, and then what comes next for him. Now, you know, he, he, he got into some truly familiar territory for me. I mean, if, if you don't know my story, at this point, you have no reason not to know my story, but the you know, Chicago Public School, nine years, left the system, founded an off-loop theater company, ran that for 16 years and changed, and then it gigged around. I've worked as a uh, retail guy at a tobacco shop in Old Irving Park. I, I was a facilities manager at a massage school in uh, Lincoln Square, and then you know, sort of the, the crazy fun uh, story of sort of landing at WBEZ and getting to create the events department from scratch. That was uh, those, you know, so just bouncing around sort of this, I don't know, journeyman approach to, uh, to a career. And I will say that last year at WBEZ was difficult. Um, it just like, and, and quite frankly, I can put it in context, my last year at the Chicago Public Schools was a little bit difficult. It was filled with office politics. I had some untrustworthy allies. We had a brand new principal who basically did not dig my 
sort of rule breaking, rule bending, whatever attitude. Didn't really want me around. You know, I wasn't I wasn't his top choice. Same thing for WBEZ. The last year WBEZ, it was apparent that the new CEO had a corporate agenda that just was not in tandem with what I had been creating for a decade. And, uh, and and it wasn't like it was unpleasant, but it started to get very political and things, you know, people whispering things in corners, this kind of stuff. And it's not what you expect from public radio, but it's a it's a corporation. It's a, you know, multi-million dollar corporation. So I guess that's kind of how it works. Well, sometime in my final three months, and I was, you know, I'm known to be a little pissy. I wrote a manifesto, really just a to remind myself of what what the deal was, you know, to, to remind myself that, and it's not about selling out, because I understand that there's the argument that, oh, artists shouldn't sell out, and people shouldn't sell out, not for the buck. The fact is you gotta make a buck, you gotta make a living, um, or you'll live in the streets. But I wrote this to kind of remind myself as I sat in my cubicle that this was not the totalitarian uh, uh, experience that I was looking for or that I could expect. So here's what I wrote and I'll just read it to you. The hive mind requires that everyone fit into a tiny box of its design, created to minimize the risks of individual thought and a marginalization of creativity. It is compelling to justify one's participation in this machinery as individual thought and creativity are both dangerous to the hive and participation provides the rewards of reasonable amounts of kibble and a slightly more solid footing in the moneyed dogma. Now most will comply. It's easier and they have rent to pay. And for many on their deathbeds, they will look back upon their time on the earth and see their life as a spreadsheet. The myth of individualism will be exposed for the absurd joke it has become, but it will be too late to reverse the course. Many have convinced themselves that this is the best box to be in and decorate the box with expressions of a person long since rendered soulless to convince themselves of their own existence. Those who refuse to comply will be labeled as subversive, antisocial, uncooperative, insane. Those who refuse may not change the world any more than a single blade of grass can change the direction of the wind, but there is art and beauty in the defiance. And on their deathbeds, in lieu of a spreadsheet, they will hear music and poetry. Okay, yeah, I'm a 51-year-old man with, uh, there's a little, like the soul of a 13-year-old girl somewhere in there. I get it. I mean, it's like very, you know, oh, I rail against and there's music and poetry. It doesn't mean that it's not true. It might be a little overly dramatic. Um, and the fact that I left a copy of that manifesto on my empty desk as I left WBEZ, um, you know, it was my dramatic statement. I get it. I remember when I was a kid uh, and, and a woman or a girl broke up with me and I knew she broke up with me and I deserved to be broken up with and I wasn't stocky, but I wanted to leave things on my terms. So I gave her her ring back because she gave me my ring and I, I didn't want it. It was mine, not my ring. And then I got in my car. I swear to God I did this. I think I was probably 15, 16. Um, got in my car, turned on Man in Motion, which was the theme from St. Elvo's Fire, and drove away with it playing loud on my radio so that she could see me drive away. So yes, 
I there's some drama. There's some overdrama. Whatever. On the complete opposite end of the overdrama, um, it seems that Jeff was searching for something in lieu of a spreadsheet as well. for 12 years I taught for eight and I was an assistant principal for four um, and uh, I always liked the first year of every school I was at and then the second year I just was like miserably depressed and over it and looked for I moved I was at five different schools in 12 years so every basically basically every two years with one of the school being three I moved and I um, when I got here to Chicago the school I worked at <clears throat> was just awful an awful experience. The kids were absolutely amazing. Um, but the adult staff, some of them just like, just came for me. Just, they just hated me. Some of them just absolutely hated me. It's funny how when you become an administration, like they just hate you. Um, and I remember it got to this, it just got to the point where I was taking my sick days off to drive for lift. I wasn't sleeping in. I got up early, I worked all day, I just drove for, I would rather drive my car and make 20 bucks an hour than go to my job. I woke up with a pit in my stomach. I, 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 would, I would cry at school, I would, I would cry at home, I, I would panic at night, I would stay up really, really late because like the longer I was up late, the more I'm not at school. Mm. It was just like, what, what could I do to be alive and awake and not at school? You know, I didn't want to sleep because then that means when I wake up, I got to go to school. And it, like the, I remember the day I was driving for a lift and um, it was actually really close to here. This woman in her, I don't know, mid forties, like cut me off. I remember she was in a Subaru and uh, I was so enraged. I got out of my car. I was screaming at her like, you fucking bitch, what the fuck is wrong with you? And she cut me off, not really. She just like kind of got in front of me and it sent me into a tirade against this woman. And I got, when I, once I got back in my car, I just like, that wasn't me, like that's just not me. That's not, that's not Jeff. And I had gotten in two fights, two physical fights. I'm not a fighter. Um, I was angry, I was negative, I was just like, I was at my worst. That was the worst I've ever been in my life. And I just uh, finally realized that it was time for me to make a change. Like, I can't live that way. I hated being alive, it was just awful. But I didn't want to leave because the kids mean so much to me and they deserve to have a, the best possible people working for them. And it, I think what it ultimately was, was like I was not happy and I also felt like it wasn't fair for me to be there, like keep taking days off and my kids deserve somebody better. And so after 12 years, I just, I couldn't believe it. I quit four weeks before the school year ended. I, I quit, I just like, you know, like I wanna, be, I, I wanna be able to go to bed at night and be proud of myself for like doing something like cool that I love and um, what is that? So let's think about that. You know, so I just kind of did a did some fun things like I worked I drove for Lyft because I love talking to people. 
Um, <clears throat> I ask people, you know, what do you do? Do you like it? You know, are you happy? I don't really remember anybody liking what they did, but um, well, that was like, that wasn't the best. <laughs> that was kind of sad. It was just more reinforcement that I needed to make sure I didn't spend another 12 years doing something I didn't like. I waited tables again. So I really like people, so I did that. I worked at a drag queen. Um, oh, they don't like that. Sorry. I worked at a female impersonator uh, restaurant in here, here in the city. Um, that was fun, but it was like it's so exhausting. <laughs> I was the only one over twenty-five waiting tables there. Um, was the only one sober. And uh, I was really like hell-bent on providing high-level customer service. It was like I had replaced my high school, my high school and middle school students for, a, for these customers. And like that wasn't what they were ex used to there. So I got tips all the time because people were like, oh my god, like, this is not the kind of service we normally get here. Uh, and I realized quickly that that just wasn't, it didn't, I barely paid the bills. And I, I got home at like 2 in the morning every night and was hanging out with 25-year-olds. 20, drinking and spending all of our money we had just made at the bars and um, like that's awesome and I think people should do that when they're 21 to 24. That's um, not cute when you're like the 35 year old like server who's hanging out with the young twinks getting wasted and yeah so I was like okay done with that. Um, I tried a bunch of stuff. I looked up temp jobs um, and then I, I noticed myself kind of like uh, looking at jobs that I thought were interesting and interviewing people and, and, and I realized that something just didn't feel right about that. I wanted to, I checked out all the books like the parachute book, what colors of parachute, all so I was like voraciously reading about careers and took all the interest surveys and blah blah blah. But I decided it was like, instead of like looking at jobs I would write down like what do I want to, what, what do I want my life to be like? What did I like about teaching? What did I like about the jobs I've had? What did I like about waiting tables? What did I like about driving for a lift? And let's write down like all the qualities of the life I want to have and the things I just like doing without a survey telling me what it is. Like I know myself pretty well. So I just started doing, I worked, I worked on that. I was like, okay, let's just meditate and journal around this for a while. And when I did that, I came up with like several different you know, kind of career fields. Um, real estate being one of the, the final three or four that I was just going to try. I believe it's kind of like what we talked about earlier with podcasting. Like, most people want to do a podcast. Most people won't because you just got to take a step. It doesn't have to be the number one podcast in the world, like the first one you do, otherwise it sucks. It could get to that. Or it could just be a hobby. But if, it will become nothing if you don't do something. So I was like, okay, I, it doesn't have to be, the, doesn't have to be the, the job I do for the rest of my life. But what could, I, what could I take a step toward and try? One of the things I love and why I chose ultimately to, to start my next chapter in real estate, not my last chapter, but my next chapter in real estate is just getting to interact with people um, and getting to plan so one of the things we believe at really big time at, at, at my team at, on, with Sage Real Estate at, at Keller Williams is that it's providing value to people. Like I don't, every time I ask somebody for anything, I'm always prepared with what can I bring to you. And I just, I love 
being able to provide something for people. Being able to provide something for people. I think that's a super cool impulse. It's certainly better than being able just just being able to provide for yourself. Now, if you're looking for some real estate, check out www.kw.com and ask for Jeff Tomlinson. Either you're going to get a great agent committed to your experience or you're going to get invited to his house to lounge around naked because I think he's going to start his own naked thing. I think it's a good bet either way. Uh, Patreon patrons will get just a little bit more of that nudist story because there was more. So go to www.patreon.com slash peculiar journeys and give me some money. I mean, come on. You don't have to listen to me fucking read Blue Apron copy or shillstamps.com. So that's got to be worth a buck a month, right? I don't know. Now, if you enjoy stories, and if you're listening to this podcast, it's obvious that you do, but you want to hear them told live, I want to, I mentioned this earlier, you should absolutely check out the next outspoken LGTBQ storytelling at Sidetrack in Chicago. My good friends David Fink and Art Johnson have been putting this thing together. Just amazing lineups of storytellers for over four years now, and it is one of the absolute best nights of storytelling you will find anywhere in the world. First Tuesday of the month, every single month, go to www.sidetrackchicago.com slash OutspokenChicago for dates and information. If you go, absolutely say hi to David and Art. Give David a big hug. He is simply one of my favorite people on the planet. And that is the show. Big thanks to that. Big thanks to Jeff for coming all the way out to Wicker Park and sitting in my kitchen to share a few minutes with me. And to Dana, as always, for her impeccable suggestions. And really to you for listening. If you enjoy Peculiar Journeys, go ahead and subscribe and leave me a review on iTunes. It actually does help, and it's nice to get some feedback. So feedback is always good. Um, If you don't want to review it, you should. But if you don't, just send me an email at don at donhallchicago.com. Let me know what you think. Um, If you've got somebody that you think I should really get to come tell stories on the podcast, absolutely let me know. Um, You know, Maya Angelou once said, I love this quote, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. If you're not telling stories to someone, I mean, if it's therapy, that's fine. If it's on a stage, that's great. If it's just to your family and friends, if you're not telling stories, I don't think you're fully participating in the fabric of society. So uh, go tell some stories, listen to some stories, uh, find your commonality with the rest of the planet. Thanks a lot. Uh, That's the podcast, and you'll hear from me uh, in two weeks. Thanks for listening.